and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of ESSR Central. I am back, the Scottish Big Dog, I'm hosting again, I know what it's about to play that. And this week we're here to discuss everything that happened this week in wrestling all over the world. Now before we get into further detail, we've got housekeeping here. So please follow us on all social media as Suplex Retweet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're also on all major podcasting sites such as Apple, eh, Spotify, Podbean at Suplex Retweet and we also have the Suplex Retweet web, uh, YouTube site as well where you can see many great things we've got previous interviews and also the next episode of Quiz Showdown which will be coming up in the next couple of weeks as well that'll be an interesting one, trust me, you're going to want to see that and of course we've also got the website at suplexretweet.com so now we've got the housework out of the way I can go into my panel and well, I'm not going to lie, it's been a struggle getting a panel I'm not going to lie, it has been hard, but, you know, this first guy, he's known as the wrestling encyclopedia, except you won't find him one under his name. You'll be page 44 under T for that other one. It's Scott McLeod. <laughs> How you doing, Scott? <laughs> Probably the nicest intro I've had in, in some time, so thank you. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've, I've given you some savage ones before and I felt, I felt I need to be a wee bit softer. <laughs> How you doing anyway? You all right? I'm good. It's, uh, it's a bit... We've got some impact-related stuff to talk about, and I, I watch. I think I watch more of that than I do weekly WWE stuff. So I had no problem being on this week. Oh, good stuff! Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, nextly, this man is the only person makes our own. David Campbell, aka the Goat Nervous. He looks and sounds like a chukter, except he's from Stephen's here. It's our resident sheep shagger, Grant McGrawby. <laughs> I knew someone was going to have to get it tight. <laughs> I'm good, Alan, with yourself. <laughs> um, I had to check because originally I said Stalin. I'm like, I don't think he's from Stalin. I, I had to stop you. Got it right. So, you me- area, lads. Tier two area. Get it, Rungies. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, thanks very much for having that in our face, mate. That's very hard. lovely. We appreciate it. But hey, good news is we're down to tier three here in Glasgow in the West. And also, the other big news we'll just start off this week is. V-Day was yesterday, Tuesday, as of day recording, where the COVID-19 vaccination process began and the world's first ever vaccinated person, Margaret Keenan, 91. So let's hope it all works. Uh, most importantly, so we don't need to listen to Stephen doing his Brad Shepard impression of fake news. <laughs> so I think it's a break from it. But let's hope it's a step in the right direction. Let's hope we can get fans back in wrestling arenas, football stadiums, and we can just return back to normal life. Because 2020 has sucked a buzz, and let's be honest about it. So, I've said a wee bit about that. I mean, guys, how are you feeling about the thought of the vaccination process and potentially, you know, in the next six to nine months, we could be all back to normal? Hopefully, what do you think of that? Oh, fingers, fingers crossed it happens and you know I mean I heard the vaccinations worked so well for her that she's ready to call it Thatcher for a match I think we do need to remember it's probably going to be a, still a long ways uh, like I think at best we can only hopefully like, middle of next year before you know potentially be gathered in the same place again because you know, I think even if we start rolling out this vaccine, I think there are good a few different groups of people 
ahead of us here in the podcast. It'll probably be in line for it first, but you know, again, as, as you're saying, like fingers crossed and everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, no, everyone has struggled this worldwide, and it's it's just been so detrimental to everything. And it's nice that you know we've been through this horrible year, but it looks like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I do agree with Scott. I think you're talking middle of next year, maybe towards the tail end of next year, before we're going to start seeing things come back to normal. Um, but hopefully, we can see that. I mean, there is we companies you know a lot of football stadiums in England. Uh, we've had up to two thousand fans back in. You know, in the States, obviously, they've, AEW, they've had fans back in as well. So there's potential that we're on the right path. And let's hope it goes that way. And let's hope come, you know, March, end of spring, uh, we're looking at a better future. So, excuse me. So speaking of futures, we're going to move on to business at hand. And we'll start this week with WWE. And the first thing we're going to discuss is basically WWE's reply to what was going to happen uh, and impact wrestling with AEW this week. So we'll go to that later on, but I want to come to you first, Scott. Triple H has said WWE is open for business in regards to cross-promotion. Do you think we will see all Vince is still at the helm? Hmm. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure about this, because, you know, WWE, we've seen them for years, like, not even acknowledging the existence of other like places outside of them. I think this is more more of a, a Triple H thing you're likely to see, and that you know he's already popped up at ICW. We've seen William Regal pop up at the occasional indie like appeared at Evolve once or twice to announce that certain talents had been signed. But I don't think you're going to see anything beyond that while Vince is still in charge. I, I probably agree with that because a lot of the promotions that like you see people like Triple H and appearing in are related to NXT or NXT UK, which are mainly under Triple H's control. So I think we're going to be sticking to that kind of cross-promotion for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Grant, what's your thoughts? I mean, do you, I mean, I'd imagine your dream, for example, if you were ever going to be watching WWE, you'd be a partnership in New Japan, uh, which <laughs> all could potentially happen one day. I mean, but does it potentially excite you that, you know, that is a, an option, but also other promotions might be able to actually do some business with WWE? I think if it's managed right, it would be a fantastic idea. While Vince is in charge, I don't see it happening, but you can see Triple H has been receptive to the idea in the past, like when he got Liger over um, for TakeOver, and that was, what was that against um, Tyler Breeze five, six years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it shows that it could, it could be like, sort of like that was a big name to get over, especially from Japan. Um, understandably, politics are a lot different now, but I think when Triple H gets the helm, I would say there's a chance. I'm still sceptical on it, but there is always a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see the, the big two work there. To me, I know everyone has their own opinion to who the big two are. For me, the big two is WWE and AEW. I just don't think you can give the AEW some new dog in, in the big race, but with the money and the, the actual talent they have, I just don't see them being second place to anyone else. I think they are the second biggest, and they are giving WWE trouble and something to worry about. But the thought for me of having the two potentially working hand-to-hand, and even potentially imagine a dream pay-per-view with eight matches, and you have eight matches of mixed AEW and WWE superstars. I mean, that's a really exciting thought. But I mean, what do you, do you think, guys? This that's a, I mean, AEW seem open to the idea of it. Do you think it's potentially something we will ever see, even if Triple H does take the helm. Uh, 
I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that kind of thing, you know. I think that kind of thing, Annual should be stuck for now for shows like uh, Book It, which is on our YouTube channel. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a potential idea for David Campbell in the future. There you go. I want credit in that, Campbell, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, Mark, was an interesting fact. The thought of it anyway, and I do hope we get to see something in the future because, especially like the NXT talent, I think that would be really, really interesting. But we're moving on, continuing on with NXT. And well, on Sunday night, we had War Games. Sorry, I didn't do that right, did I? I should have said War Games. There you go, that's more like it. That's more like it. Uh, I'm going to come to you, but I mean, what was your thought overall of uh, War Games? Overall, I, I did enjoy the entire pay-per-view. Um, you know, kept it to a nice trim, two and a half hours, five matches, year two War Games matches, the majority of it. The flow was pretty well. I wouldn't say there was what I'd consider a bad match in the card. There's some that didn't quite live up to their expectations for me, but overall, I came out of it enjoying it. And we know that I'm quite hard to please with WWE, but I give them credit. They did put out some good matches there. Yeah, I mean, there were some... Really excellent sports. I mean, I thought the women's match was a perfect match to actually open the show with. I mean, Scott, I don't know about yourself. I mean, do you have a favourite moment? For me personally, it has to be Io putting herself in the bin and throwing herself off the cage. I thought that was great comedy value, but also it shows such bravery because I'm not that brave to put a bin over my head and jump 10 feet on a solid mat ring. It's just not a, a thing for me. But I mean, what was your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I think that is the standard. For everybody from that match, you know, uh, I did kind of I like the idea of them trying to keep you out uh, until after Candice came in because it was like the heel trying to null and void the idea of the faces having the advantage. And because I think a lot of people thought it weird that the faces had the advantage going out in this particular match, it was a, a strong match. I didn't expect to see the outcome that we they got. It was a hell of a finish with that one armed power bomb through the, the table, especially. Not only goes to the table, but you having to take the bump falling through the table onto the metal bit that, that uh, connects the two rings. So, hell of a bump to it from her. Uh, I would say I'd probably preferred last year's Women's War Games, maybe because that one had a more of a story with the uh, with the uh, the two to four disadvantage and the big heel turn that you had there. Whereas this one, it was a good match and they did like a hell of a. Everyone had a hell of a showing in it. I thought it was weird that the storyline going out was all Candice and Shotzi, and then the finish didn't involve either of them. Maybe it's to do with Candice's injury, but... Mm-hmm. Yes, it's time to call from Candice. is suspected with a broken arm at this moment in time, which we'll probably get an update in the next couple of days. But, Grant, I'm going to come to you and ask, who do you feel was the MVP in this match? For that match, uh, Io, by, by a mile, stood out. Um, like I'd say, like, just... From her opening spot coming in with a bin in her head, let's face it, no one can really disagree with that being the top spot. Raquel Gonzalez getting the pin on EO, though, I think maybe she's going to get a push. Maybe that's EO's next challenger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm just really surprised, but I, I expected the, the faces to win it, but I actually thought it was potentially going to be shots who would take the pin and win it. Um, quite surprised, but. One thing I will say, the person who did actually surprise me throughout the whole match was Dakota Kai. Firstly, the fact that she actually wrestled in the match compared to last year. But I thought she gave a really good account for herself because when she started the match, I mean, 
are you surprised about that? I mean, I mean you're a big Dakota Kai fan. Um, after all, you were reading that I picked her in the draft, and she was less useless. So, I mean, <laughs> what was your... I mean, that's, I'm a huge Dakota Kai fan, and I loved seeing her start it. And, you know, it was, I felt, yeah, she'd done absolutely fantastic. And, you know, she, she had a bit of bad luck over the last couple of years of injury and stuff like that. But, like, the heel turn, ever since she turned heel, teaming up with Gonzalez, she's been quite consistent. She's been a solid performer, put up some great matches. And I wouldn't be surprised to get to see her in the, the belt on her at some point in the next year because she definitely deserves it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the fallout is going to be because every one of them in the match had a really strong match. There wasn't a weak link in it at all. Um, so it'll be interesting seeing how the women's division in NXT goes forward. Um, but we'll move on to the next match. Now, Champer Factor, this is a hard-hitting technical match that you know a lot of us like. Um, I'll start with you, Grant, in this one. What was your thoughts on the match? It was a match that I really enjoyed for the fact that it felt like it was kind of shoehorned in. I didn't really feel there was a lot of build towards it, but it was it was definitely hard hitting. Um, as I mentioned, again, like talking about about it before, I felt Champa's been there that long that uh, another loss wouldn't exactly be the end of his momentum. But Thatcher, it feels like you know Thatcher's meant to look like a badass, even choking Champa out before it, and he lost. I was quite surprised by that, really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Scott, what do you think? Do you, do you agree with that statement that a defeat for Champa wouldn't necessarily hurt him? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think it would hurt him. And, you know, it was one of those things, it was like, weirdly the hardest one to predict because uh, Thatcher, it was, it was only his second ever takeover and his last one he lost to Balor. And, you know, it's been a weird road for Champa ever since that match with Karrion Cross. But what I liked about this match uh, with its placement, this was the match you really needed to have after the first War Games, because you know, like I said, it did feel a bit shoehorned, so it doesn't feel like it was you know deserved to the story because there wasn't that much of it. And it's like it went 16 minutes, so it took its time to let you recover from the War Games, and then you eventually settled in to what the real core of the match was, which is these two guys just beating the hell out of each other. And you know, like you had uh, with his stature with the blood running down his ear and. With the way that Thatcher looks, if he's bleeding and he's like got you locked in a hole and he's got that wide-eyed look in his face, it just helps further cement this like, menacing presence that Thatcher's got. So I enjoyed that. And actually, overall, I think it was the right decision to have Champa win. Uh, and I did like the spot that they really or they sent him into the, the ropes in order to set up for the DDT that Champa does. I thought it was a really good like transition. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought it was actually the single match. I thought it was actually the best match of the night out of the working matches. Um, but I did like the, the spot at the end of the match where after actually after the match, I think the two of them were staring at each other at, on the on the side of the ring, just exhausted, looking at each other. And it just makes me think there's so much more to this story. And I feel that this could be a really decent rivalry going forward, or potentially. Could be surprised they could end up being a tag team. I mean, what's your thoughts on potentially these two teaming up to go on after maybe the, the tag titles? I mean, the, the WWE and NXT aren't really strangers to having weird like team ups. I mean, I'm sure at some point early next year they'll be doing the Dusty Classic again. And you know, in the past we've had Pete Dunne and uh, Matt Riddle go on and win it. We had uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet. So it seems to be kind of a tradition in that kind of tournament that you have. Give this odd ball team that you don't expect to go as far as they do. So 
I actually wouldn't mind it, even if they won the titles, if they broke up, and then that means they got to have another match of this kind of calibre, then I think it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then we move on to the next match, a strap match. Dexter Lewis versus Cameron Grimes. Uh, Scott, I'll come to you in this one first. What was your thoughts on this, especially with Dexter coming out with the strap? Uh, I thought it was good because uh, yeah, he's the one bringing the, the strap out and it, with that, like I thought of it, like a wide eye to there, just that look, the uh, look in Dexter Lumpus' face that he's constantly got, which is why Cameron Grimes is, is so scared of him. And I like the fact that also they put the singles match between this and the war games to keep people a break between the two gimmick matches. And, you know, I think strap matches nowadays can kind of go either way for people, you know, we've seen like Loomis okay, making this especially at that match with Roderick Strong. We had that strap match back at the Rumble with Brian and uh, and Wyatt. You know, I'm, I'm glad that they've done away similarly with the whole touch the four corners thing. Now it's just a simple like pinfall or submission kind of thing. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it was a great result again when Loomis won. And I think me, the most memorable spot of the match is when Graham sends them over the barricade and just the slow shot of the gloves appearing then just Loomis just appearing from behind the barricade again, again with that weird like stare that he's got. Mm-hmm. I mean, Graham, what was your thoughts? I mean, do you have any additional thoughts to add to that? I mean, strand matches aren't usually my favourite or anything like that, but for me, it's the character work of these two that works really well. Grimes being that kind of over the top, and Loomis, it just makes that character work. The, the only thing that feels weird at times is they present him going into it almost like a face, but I'm like, this guy's pretty much a serial killer. How can you make him a face? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I watched it live with Kwaku and Dan, and we were on the PlayStation talking and watching it, and one of our listeners and good friends, Tom, came on, and Tom had said he hadn't really followed the NXT for a bit. I couldn't believe that Karen, no Karen Cross, sorry, that Loomis was actually the face. He was like, that just doesn't work. That's not right, but it kind of did work. Um, it was kind of odd though but I liked it uh, but I did like also the finish the fact the way Loomis had kind it essentially just tied them up completely and it, I thought the finish is just so perfect for his character I mean did anyone else spot that? Mm-hmm. Yeah I think it's a, a similar style thing of what he did with, with Roderick Strong where he ties you up in the strap and he's got that kind of head and arm like choke that he's got I think he calls the silence and the idea of like getting a submission, well, but now you've got the strap wrapped around you and you've nowhere to go, and you're trapped with what is essentially a serial killer. Uh, it's, it's just it's, uh, Loomis's character. Mm, yeah, well, I thought it was a really good match overall. But then going on to the next match, that I, I did enjoy um, was the North American Championship: Leon Ross versus Damien Priest versus Johnny Gargano. Um, Grant, I'll come to you first. What, what do you think of the match overall? Absolutely love this match. It gave me exactly what I was hoping for. Gargano getting that gold back again, um, which I never thought he should have dropped in the first place, but for the sake of the story it's told, I felt it was a, a really fun match. Uh, Ruff really like done a good show, you know, for being like the kind of the little guy. Like the fact that Gargano was usually the little guy. It's like no, no, Gargano's one of the bigger ones this time. Really fun <laughs> match. Scott, what was your thoughts? I think outside of the two War Games matches, this was the one that had a story that I was most invested in, because, you know, the shock of of Leon Ruff winning, and then Damien Priest kind of 
helping him retain the belt to get a, to get at Gargano and then just you know, trying to prove himself. And then you had multiple, multiple ghost faces getting involved and I genuinely thought that Ruff would win this because I thought the triple threat stipulation would provide um, the opportunity to kind of steal the win again. It looked like at one point they were going to do it, but then Gargano, like you said, got the win. And I think this actually makes them outside, because uh, I know like Kyle O'Reilly's been a three-time tag champ, but now Gloria Gargano's the first person to hold a singles title in NXT three times, which I think if anybody was going to get an accolade like that, I think it should be someone like Gargano who's been around NXT for so long has become such a pivotal part of uh, of the brand. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that kind of struck me about this was just Damien Priest always seemed very hesitant about going after Ruff. Yeah, you've seen him quite often. Like, yeah, the option of going after Gargano Ruff, and if Gargano rolled out of the ring, whatever, he was forced into going after Ruff, and it was quite an interesting storytelling aspect, I thought. I mean, what was your thoughts? Do you feel that it affected, it's affecting Priest's character and potentially storylines from going forward that he's no longer this monster he's starting to show a bit of a conscience I think that's a good a good, a good kind of show like when you notice that and uh, you know I, I felt Priest's character work you know he's kind of been he's been good but he's felt a little bit one dimensional to me at points and this adds a new wrinkle I'd still say the only thing that disappointed me in this whole thing was the fact that Ghostface was not David Arquette. They missed an opportunity <laughs> there. Who were you yeah. watching, David Arquette? Who, were, who did you think potentially was one of the Ghostface? I had absolutely no idea. It was just one of those, like, I, I could not get my head around it because I was like, anyone I can think of that I would expect to team up with Gargano is already doing stuff or what. And then when it's shown to be, it's me, apostrophe. Austin, <laughs> I was like, I was like, hang on, I forgot he existed. <laughs> Are you Scott, Were you disappointed finding out it was the different? It's not the Austin. It was a different Austin that was under the mask. I mean, I did appreciate that he looked in the camera and said it was me, Austin. It was me all along. But one thing I was wondering with Austin, main question we had about it is like, yeah, you unmasked the main ghost face, but it, was, it felt like there were like forty other ghost faces that interfered. Who the fuck were all they? And like you're making it as if oh there was just the one ghost face like no at least I've seen at least ten and there's one match alone that kept popping up where are all these ghost faces coming from this is going to be a week by week thing to slowly unveil like other people you forgot were on the roster mm-hmm. I mean I thought personally I had like a very uh, TNA Aces and Eights feel mm-hmm. the way it's done and I love the Aces and Eights but I, I think TNA dragged on a couple of months too long and it really no fell on his backside, and I'm really, really hoping if WWE are going to go that in that route, that they know when to cut this and stop it, and don't drag it out to the point that nobody actually gives a shit anymore. And it's nearly it's 18 months later before they're disbanded. It's, it just didn't have that feel. I mean, that's that's my personal point. Do you agree with that, or is it something you feel that, it, as you said, Scott, it could be week by week, and this could go on for some time? Would you be up for that? I think the main fact that they only revealed one ghost face. Uh, I think that was a purpose. I think it's just going to be Siri Gargano and then Indy Hartwell with Candice Lurie. Like they've each got their own like protege or somebody that can team with them. Because uh, like Indy Hartwell was a ghost face as well. But it's just me thinking because I think a lot of people are asking who's the other ghost face because like there was a shot on the Go Home NXT of Gargano, Candice, and Indy Hartwell getting into a car, and then in the back seat of the car you see another person in a ghost face mask. Which just in the world of kayfabe, it makes me think like the idea of them saying to Austin Theory. 
okay, you can be in the car with us, but we can't. People can't know you're associated with us yet. So please put on this spare ghost face mask we've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Um, hopefully they do it justice, because I'm quite intrigued about that. And then finally we come to the main event of War Games, the men's War Game, Undisputed Era versus Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, Oni Lochran and Danny Burch. I don't know you guys, but I thought this was a brilliant, uh, I appreciate lockdown match. No, it's not War Games match. What was your thoughts on it? Loved, Loved it. it. <laughs> some of my thoughts there because I like the opening portion of this more than the women's one because it can be a bit off putting the idea of like you can't pin anybody until everybody's involved but like the difference between this and the women's one is that this opened with like O'Reilly and Dunn so basically it was the idea of this technical kind of back and forth neither guy being able to get one up on the other whereas the women's one they were just going for big moves but then just it's so awkward that they weren't trying each other because obviously they couldn't at that point, and you know, as, as how much as it pains me to say, uh, Pat McAfee probably the MVP of the match because, like, the idea of before he even gets in the ring, every time somebody from his team goes to go out the ca- the cage, like he acts like he's going to go forward, and then like Lawkins goes instead, and then or Diverts goes ahead of him because you knew going into it, like Pat McAfee's coming in last because well, that's the kind of thing he would do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to agree. I think Pat. McAfee was still on this match. He didn't look out of place. I mean, Grant, what was your thought? Do you agree with that? Or did you feel there was someone else that was potentially going to pick them for it? And I totally agree. Like, McAfee absolutely nailed it. And when you watch it, he's been really clever. Like, he, he was the last one to go in, and then he kept on doing the real shite bag thing of like, he just always slunked around and kind of get his offense in whenever he knew he would get it without getting in and back. It was really clever when you watch that bit of it. And, you know, his height up towards this whole whole war games, like getting together with Larkin and Birch and bringing Dunn into the fold, it's been so well done. Um, there was a thing that, like, I was watching it. A few pals online were all watching it together, and pals Ryan and Dassel and were like, we, we thought of one good point with these war games matches, which I've not heard a lot of people mention, is because you can't win it till everyone's in. The difficulty you've got being the first person in, knowing that you've got like probably a full 30, 40 minute match. You kind of blow the arse at it too quick, mm-hmm. but you need but you need to keep people invested as well. It's such a challenge, and the men's war games match showed exactly the shifting of the gears, starting early and then moving its way up until you got to the absolute pandemonium for the last like five ten minutes of it. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing I I really like. I, I was speaking to Quacker and Dan about this. Um, on at the night as well. Kyle O'Reilly, I can't get away with changing him. Um, so it was great that he picked up the pinfall. He started, but in the last few months since he's returned, I've noticed he's he's bulked up a bit. His movement's slightly different, and he's tweaked his look. And from for me, he now looks like a main eventer uh, up there with Adam Cole. And I thought he really stunned. I thought he was the the most standout. Player for the undisputed era. Um, do you agree with that, or do you have any other opinions potentially on that thought? I mean, I, I, think... I got the luxury. I got the luxury of getting to see him live at Progress last year over like three days at Super Strong Style, and the guy is as a singles competitor. We always think of him as a tag team, but as a singles guy, he is a main eventer. 
he is like he's completely made it his thing and you know it, his selling as well like I, I've never seen someone oversell like that in years and he just makes it work perfectly it's so fun yeah Bobby just stop yeah I think like given the, the push they had to like face Van Balor and then reports that it's looking like Fish and Strong are going to be the tie team of the group for now I think they are definitely preparing him as a standout like singles guy and like matches like this really show what he can do because you know some people don't haven't seen his stuff in places like Ring of Honor or PWG where he was kind of a main event guy even against like of his fellow statements like Adam Cole and I definitely think that he is a show at some point I wouldn't mind seeing like him versus uh, Johnny Gargano going forward for the North American title because uh, I don't really see them putting the NXT belt on Kyle O'Reilly as much as I'd like to see that but I think it's a matter of time before before they leave NXT that Kyle O'Reilly will probably get a brief reign as a singles champion mm-hmm. I would, I would, I'd hope he'd get to go for the NXT I think he would be a really good champion but I do think if there's been rumours going about for a long, long time on the few days are going to split I think using him as potential the upstart kind of like they're all through uh, the nation like that, they went with that idea that he's potentially the new rock and calls at the Farouk and he's the upstart. That potentially could be a good way if they're, if they're going to split Undisputed Era, which right now Hawkins probably crying when he's listening to this. Sorry, mate. Um, do you think that could be a good angle if they are going to split it just by the way O'Reilly just seems to be at the moment and the, the, the buzz about him? I think Cole's too uh, charismatic to be the Farouk because no offence to Ron Simmons, but the rock clearly overshadowed him. But I think it's clear that the two most charismatic people in Undisputed Era are O'Reilly and Cole. And honestly, I, I don't see like that being a similar situation. I think if anyone's going to cause a split, it would, be, it would be Strong or Fish that would cause the split. Uh, maybe out of jealousy with like, Strong and Fish against Cole and O'Reilly, I don't know. But I don't actually see them splitting up anything soon because they just got this big win. They need to have like a run on the main roster as a as a group before they even consider like having them split up. Grant, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, to me, yeah, like O'Reilly. As much as I'd love to see him with NXT belt, let's face it, we all saw the little vignette Cross is coming back, and he's coming for Balor. That's where that one's going. Um, as for undisputed, um, I. I I can see Scott's point about them needing like a run together on the the main roster. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't. I don't want them to. I want. I would rather have them split when they're in NXT and do their own thing. Um, it's like like Roderick Strong with Bobby Fish would be an interesting team because it looks like someone's brought his dad to fight with him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like looking at the, the main roster though. I think you do need to at least have them, like at least a year run on the main roster for Undisputed Era. I know some people are like hesitant to do like, oh, no, don't put them in the roster, they'll ruin them there. But like, I think they are they can buck the, the trend here because like you had the Shield as the the faction on the main roster. You had New Day, <laughs> now they've been split up. You know, two of them on Raw, one Smackdown. They need to fill this role for a while. That dominant heel faction that Retribution clearly aren't fucking filling. And probably never were going to. Heart business are good, but I, I want to see a potential heart business undisputed era feud on the main roster. You know, you need a proper faction on the main roster, and heart business are good, but undisputed era could basically rule whatever brand they go to, Raw or SmackDown. Mm-hmm. 
no, I, I agree. That would be quite an interesting thought. But time will tell. We'll find out in the future. But I wanted to just stay on Pat McAfee just now because with Grady was the MVP. He was brilliant in the match. But he's been in the news for quite a few things, especially the last week. Um, the first thing I'll just start with is the fallout after War Games, where he's his own show and he's got his neck brace on selling the injuries for War Games. Guys, come on. He's the best heel in the business, isn't he? Come on, there's nobody touching him right now. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if that neck brace was even kayfabe. I mean, he took a table bump, he took a Panama Sunrise, a second ever match. He's definitely sore in some way. <laughs> definitely. Grant, what's your thoughts? I absolutely loved it. Like, you know, it's like, it's it's one of the things like WWE can be really bad for. Like, someone takes the most hellacious of bumps or what, and like three days later they're walking about as if nothing ever happened. It's like, I'm pretty sure if I took that, I'd be like, I'd be feeling that for at least a few weeks. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, I've, I've just loved the way he's working. And I know within our group chat, we've talked about some people love him, some people hate him. But one thing that's been said about him uh, is by CM Punk. And he's commented in the last week that every WWE superstar should be ashamed of themselves because none of them can pull a promo like an American footballer. What's your thoughts on that? That's quite a bold statement. The, the man can, the man cuts a promo like nothing else. And, uh, you know, like I, I don't know if it comes from that whole American football is quite a larger-than-life thing. Like, even like they're... You're kind of your big guys. I mean, despite the fact that Pat McAfee, I didn't even know who he was until probably the last year because he's a punter, whatever that was. But you know, it was he definitely like, yeah. I mean, Punk's got a point. You know, he can he can out promo a lot of the guys, but then at the same time, you got to wonder: was McAfee scripted? Was he given free reign? And also, some people work well with scripts, and some don't. So it's it's kind. Of, I think he's maybe a bit too scathing in one way, but it makes point valid point for some. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Scott? Where would we be without CM Punk to remind us all of the flaws of WWE? You know, <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, I can see where he's coming from there. Pat McAfee is a solid. Like when he's allowed now, he's perfect for the role that he's been put in. But I think. I'll go back to some points that Ross made uh, on uh, on our Facebook community when he and Daniel were talking about Daniel's predictions for uh, the prediction between him and Hockney is that a lot of the stuff with regards to what helps with McAvey is that he comes from a background where public speaking is a requirement. You know, he was in he was a football player, and now he's a broadcaster, so he needs to be confident in speaking. Also, given that he's coming from outside, he's not really full time with NXT. Uh, you, I think he's got given some free reign, whereas most of the people like on the main roster, especially, are probably walking around at the minute, kind of on eggshells because we've seen it on this year. Anybody can be kind of let go, and I do. I don't think there aren't there are. Dewey has its fair share of really good talkers. And then come here, you got Adam Cole, MVP, and people like that. But I do think that I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this. <laughs> He's bloody good. That's what we're saying. He's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I agree with you. WWE does have a lot of good talkers. I've always felt like for consistency, WWE's best talker that to be in the Miz. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's always been a brilliant heel. He was a decent face as well, but he, I always felt like Miz TV was always 
entertaining and he always had you captivated and he had your attention. And he, I always thought he was the best overall up until McAfee started opening stuff. And I think McAfee is just taking it to a new level. And for me, I, I kind of agree with him. There isn't, I wouldn't say that there's bad talkers in WWE, but just nobody right now is touching him. Uh, Pat McAfee is just a mile ahead of him. That's just my personal opinion. So we've had a brief chat about that and we've got a couple more things to talk about. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is the talk, rumour that when Charlotte does return to WWE, she's going to be paired with Andrade to help his main event push. Now, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting. Right. <laughs> Scott, go ahead. Uh, I like the idea because uh, we talked about a little bit Selena Vega when she got released like the impact that she had on Andrade's career can't be understated because he went from another mid-card member of the XT roster to NXT champion within like six months and like say what you will about some of his time on the main roster but Andrade was, isn't the same without Selena Vega and maybe this is kind of the role that they're wanting Charlotte to be in because as much as Andrade is getting better, his English isn't the best because you know it's not his first language. So, and you know what they've said about like like the Cesaro. Apparently, his like English not being his first language is what's held him back from being a main event push because they're not sure what he's talking about. So, you've got to think that might be an issue with Andrade. Whereas putting him with Charlotte, who again it blends real life and storyline, and also Charlotte is seen very highly by the company. I think they got some really good possibilities. The idea of, again blending real life. And like, because they're not uh, adverse to acknowledging people's real life relationships on TV, and I think they could do they could go on a, maybe a Stephanie Triple H late run as like the power couple of WWE. Interesting thought. What about yourself, Cam? I'd say Scott's kind of got it right in the head there. You know, it's uh, if you look at WWE's top guys, generally they are in nine times out of ten they're usually good talkers. Um, the yeah. ones that got, get to the top and last the longest it, sometimes they're not even the flashiest in-ring performers like The Miz made it to the top and to me it was based on his talking because I'm not saying he's bad in the ring but a bit like MGF to me he's he's like he could be quite average for in-ring but like, like a three-star guy for in-ring but talking out of the park so having that someone that can help speak from could be exactly what Andrea Andrade needs because I've got no doubt in his in-ring ability. He's working New Japan was incredible, um, and in Mexico. So and he's proven that he can he can handle it in the ring in WWE as well. He just that's the last piece that he needs really. Mm. I mean, just to play devil's advocate, do you think it's kind of a bit unfair in Charlotte that she's having to step away from the performing role and being an actual wrestler and having to turn manager? Do you think that's a bit unfair or, or is it justified considering she's done it all and people were getting bored of her always being in the main event pictures in the title runs? I think it would I think it would actually help fan perception of her because, you know, she's more talker and manager to Andrade rather than wrestling, which means again like, if she's not wrestling as often people can't moan about her being thrust into the title scene all the time. And then if she's wrestling only occasionally and when she does wrestle, maybe it'll get start to get people interested in her matches again. People actually enjoy getting to see her wrestle. And so I actually think it might actually help fan perception of Charlotte in the long term. And then when she goes back to 
like uh, wrestling full time again, we can get some time before people start moaning about all the title opportunities she's got. Mm-hmm. Grant, do you how do you feel about it? I I'm I'm quite I'm quite for that. Like you know, like she's she's a, a very talented and performer, but it gives a new angle to make interesting feuds. You know, by building heat off her manager role, and it works. I mean, look at look at when Selena Vega, the few times that she did wrestle, there usually was it wasn't just kind of haphazardly thrown together. It came about from something, mm-hmm. and it was good. I like that. Mm. I've got to agree with you guys. I think I think it's going to be quite an interesting that a new dynamic. And um, to all the marks that are fed up with all being the title pictures, they're now getting their, their chance. They're getting a break from always being the title pictures. And it'll be good to see her, but she does standing outside the ring and potentially. My my opinion is I think she'll be a heel manager, and she'll be a good distraction. Um, so I think it'll work quite well actually because I think she's possibly one of the most naturally gifted heels. Out there, I just, I think she, she's a good face, but I think she's a far superior heel. Aye, agreed. Mm-hmm. And well, speaking of titles, when we talk about Charlotte, we'll move on swiftly to the TLC card that we have so far. So at this moment in time, we have four title matches booked, five matches in total for the TLC pay per view. And we have the first one, the WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles in a TLC match. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I am buzzing for this. I think this is potentially an absolute screamer of a match. What's your thoughts? Uh, I'm looking forward to, to the match. And obviously you expected this kind of situation to be added given the pay-per-view. Uh, but I'm confused as to how they're going to like like present this as opposed to the, the Universal title match because they're both TLC matches. And, you know, unlike Away NXT, which bookended the show, the two war games, like, I couldn't see Drew or Roman opening the show. So I think they need to be careful how they handle the, uh, handle, like, putting two TLC matches on. And also, I think, given the, the situation, meaning no DQ, means plenty of opportunities for uh, AJ's Big Heavy to get involved. <laughs> That's a fair point, Grant. What about yourself? Do you, do you agree with Scott's points? I think Scott's got a good point there, the danger of them presenting them too similar, but I think the good thing they've got going there is that Drew's matches are more kind of spot-laden, which works well with AJ as well, being quite a good risk-taker, whereas Roman's matches lately have been so heavy on storytelling, and that's what they could use to differentiate the two matches and make them feel different while having the same stipulation. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with both I'm just curious, what match do you think will main event? And where do you think the other match will be on the pay-per-view? Universal title think main events because I think there'll be some sort of shenanigans maybe involving Jey Uso and maybe Daniel Bryan will get involved to set up that rumoured thing between him and Roman at the Rumble. Uh, but I don't think... I think they'll wait to like three or four matches in before Drew comes on so at least they've got like at least two matches to separate the two. And so, like the crowd, like watching it, doesn't get burned out by seeing them too closely together. Grant, mm. I'd say I think the universal title one makes more sense to me because they like the bigger story with like Jey Uso and stuff being the main event, and I could easily see like doing that being like kind of like your almost like your first half main event, like just picking up and like what it is like when you go to some of the indie shows and it feels almost like your first half's got its own main event. 
compared to the okay. second half. So that to me would make sense. Just just to play devil's advocate here, WWE Championship is meant to be the most prestigious title in all of wrestling. And to feel that it's been diminished, that it's not really main event in pay-per-views anymore. I think the thing with two world titles, I think it happened a lot when the, we had the world heavyweight title. I think the way we, which one they value more depends who's holding it. Because like the world heavyweight title, it was more valuable than the WWE title whenever like Triple H was holding it. But when John Cena was WWE champion, that was more valuable. And I think at the moment, as much as they like Drew Roman, I think at the moment it slightly edges them out in terms of how Vince perceives the two of them. So I think that's why the Universal C is more important at the moment. And plus, also, I think storyline wise, the Universal title is being better booked. What do you think, Dan? I'm totally with Scott on that one. Like, um, like Roman's been kind of feeling fresh. We've got like the full heel turn, the the tribal chief, the build up with Jay Uso and different matches. Whereas Drew, for example, I felt got kind of stuck in a rut when it was, oh, here's Drew Vs Orton, here's Drew Vs Orton. Guess what, lads? I heard you like Drew Vs Orton, so just some Drew Vs Orton and your Drew Vs Orton. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. So then we move on to, we've already discussed the love TLC match Universal title, Kevin Owens, uh, Roman Reigns. But uh, we also have the SmackDown Women's Championship, Sasha Banks versus Carmella. What's your thoughts on this match? I, mean, I think this is going to be one of the few matches that doesn't get given its own stipulation because I don't really know, like, I don't know if it really warrants it. I remember me and Hockney were talking about some of the rumoured plans for TLC and we were talking about how, like, why isn't this being mentioned amongst it? And then all of a sudden it gets uh, added to the card. I, I do feel, as much as Carmella, they're trying to go all in with her and her new gimmick, I do feel like she's really a placeholder for Sasha right now. Not yourself, Kent. Uh, it's, it's, it's a match that, to me, it's like Carmella's just kind of came out of nowhere. Um Fair play, she's going, she's going after Banks and it, it helps position Banks as a face. Keeps the distance between Banks and Bailey for a while as well. Uh, while Bailey pretty much gets wrecked every week. But that's part of what I feel is going to be a bigger story there for Bailey going back to a face eventually. Yeah, it just feels like it's a it's a transition match to make sure that the title is still represented on the big card. But I don't see it as more than that. It's not one that's particularly got my interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, I, I've got to be honest, I kind of agree with you. I'm not, I mean, I think that's potentially going to be the squash match. I don't expect, not this is going to be a squash, but it's not going to be a long match. I only, see, I don't see that going more than 10 minutes, to be honest. Um, I think part of it is also given that, we'll mention it later on, but the Raw Women's Champion is in a, a match, but her tail isn't on the line. So maybe they want one of the two singles belts being defended. And so they thought, let's have Sasha on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's quite logical to me. I think, and it brings us on nicely to the next tag title match that's been confirmed, which is the Women's Tag Championship. Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler versus Asuka and Lana. What are your thoughts on this one? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try in a nice way of saying it, but yeah, just please no. So nobody's wanting to see Lana lift that lift those titles up at the end of the match. Nobody interested. I mean. On the one hand, you're like, yay, uh, Asuka gets two uh, titles and she's the first person to hold that those titles with two different partners. But then again, you go from Kairi Sane to Lana, I think Asuka's been basically downgraded in terms of partners. 
I think you agree with that, Grant. I mean, let's face it, when you're in the um, the slammy categories for best rivalry and your rivalry is an inanimate object, yeah, yeah I'm a little bit I'm a little bit concerned there. I mean, are, are they going to put a belt on the table if the table keeps beating her? I need to know that. <laughs> like, would it would it be the Spanish announced table teaming with the US announced table to be a tag team? I mean, no, that's some good shit. <laughs> like, like we've seen the, Sp- the Spanish announce table takes some crazy bumps every pay-per-view it is the bump master it's up there with vacant <laughs> <laughs> I always, always wondered like if you were a Spanish commentator you'd hope for getting a paid a little bit more given the fact that every show you do at some point your table's getting fucked up <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah that's probably why they sit so far back. Look, there's no point sitting close because it's only about ten minutes time. What? <laughs> I don't. I said done. But yeah, no, fair enough. Man. That's a fair enough point. And then moving on to the last match that's been confirmed so far in regards to storytelling, like you're talking, you guys were talking about Roman. This is up there with it as well. The Fiend versus Randy Orton. Um, I think this one is becoming really, really intriguing. I really look for. I really look, enjoy the spots they're having. When they're talking and raw, I mean, what's your guys' thoughts on this match? I'm I'm in for this one. Like I'm I'm loving the like and you know because to me this is a chance for them to make up like things like um, they dropped the ball years ago with Wyatt and Cena. Cena made up for that with Cena and the Fiend. This is a chance to make up for that kind of botched up Orton and Wyatt feud before as well. Yeah. Scott, what do you think? Uh, I think you talk about story-driven matches. This is going to be, other than the Roman match, the most story-driven kind of match. Because if you think about it, ever since the Firefly Funhouse kind of started, I think even from the second episode, they had like a painting of like the, the compound being burned down. So they've been kind of setting the seat for this for quite a while. And yeah, it makes sense that they would revisit this, given that the Fiend goes after people who have done Wyatt wrong. And, you know, in 2016, 2017, for a while, these two were the most compelling thing on TV until they fucked it up. So this is their chance to their chance to make amends for it. And obviously, it's not going to have any tables, ladders, or chairs involved in it because, really, I don't think it needs to because they've already got all the, like, ingredients you need storyline-wise for a decent match. No, I totally agree. I mean, the main catalyst and the thing you really need, if it does need anything, is bliss. Mm-hmm. Just have been there, I think, enough. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be like, I know, like, we talk about feuds and we go on for quite a while. I wouldn't mind seeing this continue for a few more months and maybe hopefully if it leads to another funhouse match where, again, like, much like Cena, you can like take some of Randy's like criticisms over the years and uh, like bring them up or have a bag that uh, they can allude to someone's shit in. Have uh, you hear the stories about Randy? <laughs> no, I think, I think they're very bad points and we'll see where else is going to get booked over the next couple of weeks but that's what we have at this moment in time and I think so far to be fair it's actually stacked up to be quite a decent pay-per-view so I'm looking forward to seeing that so we're going to move on swiftly to what's probably the biggest topic in wrestling this week and we're going to combine AEW and Impact together to talk about it and the first thing I'm going to start with with AEW uh, for me, the biggest aspect, the debut of Sting. Guys, what, what, what was your thoughts on this? 
completely did not see that coming. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'm not going to lie, like, that was a complete... And this is good, like, there was no... What Cannon's been guilty of before, bigging it up with, there's going to be a huge thing, you're not going to believe it in that. It's like, no mention of it, it just happened. Brilliant. Uh-huh. Scott, what, what did you think of it? Like, the fact that he actually, he actually showed up, because, like, I remember there was always talk, like, oh, like, they were going to this action figure of him, and then he got pulled, and then, like, he can't buy any of his merch. And people like, oh, that means he's going to AEW, and I can't dismiss it, because it seems to be the kind of, whenever somebody's no longer associated with WWE in any way, it's always the former someone says, going to AEW, but I thought, like, what was this thing doing AEW? And then everybody shows up, and from what I've heard, a lot of people involved in AEW, like, were kept in the dark about this for a genuine reaction, and I mean, listening to it, I wouldn't be surprised if Shivani didn't know about it, because he sounded like he was losing his shit when, when Sting came out, because obviously he and Sting go back a long way from WCW. Hmm. And also the fact that it's a multi-year thing, and Sting will probably be not really a part-timer, he might probably will appear more regularly than you'd think. It makes you think, like, well, they've probably got something planned for him, because on the surface, I keep thinking, what can Sting do for you? I think we mentioned the rumours of him going a couple of weeks ago on Central, and I, I said then I didn't know what, what he could add to AEW. Yeah. No, I, I've got, just to go on one of the points you mentioned, when somebody debuts, it's always spoiled by mm-hmm. reporters or people tweeting about it. Social media is the world's bottom. For me, it's killed these shocks and surprises in wrestling. It really murdered them. It's like, nobody's seen Sting coming. It's if I've ever seen it. Nobody did it and it just mm-hmm. blew them off the place. And I agree with you, this was just out of the park. Um, and I've maybe watched it about six or seven times and I'm always on the edge of my seat and I can't believe it's happening. I mean, like for me, the last sort of big return like that or a big thing that happened that nobody really seen coming, other than saying that for me is potentially either you're talking to Hardy's return to Mania or AJ debuting at the Rumble. Mm-hmm. And it was done perfectly. And if, if the rumours are true, where Can has kept 99% of the staff in the dark, keep up. Because that's what they want to see. They want to see genuine shopping surprises. Um, just going on around another point you were mentioning there, Scott. It's a multi year deal. Now, I don't know if you've seen that the rumours are if Sting wants to fight, he can fight, but there's nothing in his contract to say he can't or he can't fight. So, I know we've talked about privately in our group chats and stuff. Are you opposed to him potentially something his boots for one last match or maybe a couple last matches in AEW? As, as long as he's as they structure it well, maybe if he does a one or two cinematic matches, because apparently he want he wanted to do a cinematic match with Undertaker, and apparently the way we, especially Vince, has never seen the appeal in that match. And obviously, Taker didn't want to do any more cinematic matches because he doesn't like the idea of like having to use this to purposely hide his like weaknesses at his age. And obviously, Singh probably wanted the cinematic match because he knows of the injuries that caused him to basically announce his retirement. So, if a cinematic match where they can kind of work around that, then I, because uh, you know they can probably put together something special. But you know, I'm kind of hesitant to see him work a regular match because of what happened like last time he wrestled against Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, it's not the first thing Rollins has destroyed, is it? Poor Becky. <laughs> 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 I, I passed up that season. 
not that bitter then. <laughs> but Grant, I mean, like, if he if he was like to have just see one or two matches in AEW, who do you think he should go for in those matches? Well, I, I actually think like the two men that were in the ring at the time when he came in uh, to me would be the best shout: Cody and Darby Allen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we looked at the two of them staring at each other. It was like, I've seen the memes like when your dad catches you coming in after curfew, like it kind of had that feel a wee bit about it, but the, the, the past and the present, the future sort of thing. Like the, like my favorite one was uh, when your dad went out for cigarettes in two thousand and one and finally came back because <laughs> made a big point of like the last thing thing was on TNT was like the final night. Then if he does something with Cody, because Cody said outside of his, his father, his favorite wrestler of all time is Sting. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I told you, I've been, I've been scratching my head about who would I like to see, and see out the two you have mentioned. I don't know why. I don't. I don't really have a, a logic to it, but just I'd want to see it. I'd want to see Kenny Omega and Sting. I can could carry him, but Kenny's very charismatic as a thing, and I don't know why. I don't really have any other logic in it. I just would like to see that. I mean, because they both carry companies on their back, and I think that I think that's possible. The only reason why I can see that I'm coming up with that. I mean, is that something you should want to see potentially? If I had a decent enough story and a reason for why it was happening, then, then yeah. I think it's just there's too much. There would be too much expectation, too much hype, and I think sometimes it's a, a dream match should just be left as a dream match and nothing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally get. Yeah. I mean, that's just me just sort of spitballing just thoughts, it? but I do think you know Darby and Cody are the, the two most likely and pot, will be probably the two best uh, on that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with thing, and I'm looking forward. Uh, as of time of recording, he's, he's due to speak tonight on Dynamite, so I'm looking forward to seeing what exactly he says. So that'll be interesting. Um, now, briefly mentioned there, Kenny Omega. Um, he is now the new world champion and the first person to actually defeat John Moxley. Uh, Graham, we come to you. What a match. What was your thoughts on it? My, my draft pick came out for me. <laughs> Big time. Get that round you go. Stay in the darkness. <laughs> the light is going to win. But absolutely fantastic match and it really cemented Omega's heel turn from not just slightly corny heel but actually full out bastard and I loved it mm-hmm. oh no absolutely I mean the cleaner is well and truly back uh, there's no doubt about that I mean, Scott what, what was your thoughts on the match and Omega finally being the person to throw in Moxley well me and David talked about it last week and we were both kind of we are both fairly certain that Omega was going to win and like we talked about Alan a couple of weeks ago but I think it was about time that, uh, the title changes hands on TV I thought if anyone's going to do it it's going to be like a match between Omega and Boxley probably your two biggest guys you've got right now and uh, it made sense you know you had a you had Don Callis coming in there and then that led to the big storyline that we're going to talk about and the, the way that happened and they would later explain on their appearance and impact that the reason Kenny won the way he did the state saying like, oh, we're gonna, this is going to be a technical wrestling match. It's not going to be like the last time we fought. It's like, in his eyes, like, well, you put your hands on Don Callis. 
Don Callis' family to me. And like so, in my eyes, that put our argument out the window. And that's why Kenny won the way he did. And when you really think about it, it's really brilliant in terms of storytelling. And, you know, the kind of thing that somebody like a Kenny Omega kind of stories he can tell is not just a guy who's just known for, like, great matches that Meltzer gives all the stars to. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Don Callis there. And then his final words of show, the show is, you'll find out what we're going to see on Impact on Tuesday. So, you know, first thing we see cross, major cross promotions working together on telly for such a long time, or if ever, I can't think of like, other ones other than believe in WWE and WCW when Vince finally bought WCW. Um, I mean, that was quite, I got quite a buzz. And we finally got to see Kenny on AEW, uh, on Impact, sorry, last night. And what's your thoughts on it? It was interesting because, like, obviously, he explained why they why they'd won the way he did and how they basically built themselves up, like, talking about the match with Jericho, how, like, well, we're changing the business and that. And then Kenny mentioned about potentially coming after Rich Swan. I know he wants to collect titles. But in some ways, it also did feel like they were kind of basically just bridging the gap between two episodes of Dynamite. Uh, I did like the idea, like, it did do a lot of great numbers for... for Impact, you know, they put the full episode of the this week on YouTube for free so more people can see it. Because a lot of people were saying, like, oh, how do I watch Impact? I need to figure out how to watch Impact. Well, Don Kells literally shouted what channel it was on at the end of Dynamite, so you clearly weren't listening when he said that. And, like, I'm interested to see if this does lead to Unboxing because it was a moment before uh, they did the interview where Rich Swan, the Impact World Champion, was walking to the parking lot. And a guy basically bought someone says like, oh, the, the chance blocked off the parking lot. Like, it was Bama champion. It was, I mean, Kenny Omega. And I hope that leads to something between Omega and Swan. Otherwise, they just brought Kenny Omega in and made like, the, the Impact World Champion look like shit in that one segment for nothing. I mean, I was really looking forward to it. And I, I watched it on Facebook this morning. And it was really, I thought it was really well done. I also love the fact that Kenny... To show kayfabe and talk to Josh going, Aye, you were in you were in uh, WWE with Ambrose Bunny and throws a name tag on. I thought that was really good, but I was a bit disappointed he wasn't actually in the ring. I would have, I was really wanting to see him walk down the ramp into the ring and an an impact in the impact zone. I mean, Grant, we do you feel a bit disappointed at that or do you think it was the way it was the right way the way it was done? To me, it was spot on. Like you know, the fact that he wouldn't even leave the bus. Like you know, he's bigger than them. He's better than them. He's carried companies on his back. He's carrying another company on his back. Uh, they're changing history. They're like you know this whole idea that Callis and him have been booking this behind the scenes like some mastermind for years. Like Callis taking credit, like it's because of me. AEWs became a thing. I absolutely loved it. So as long as it leads to something with a few interpromotional matches, even if it's just short term, because even things like FDR were tweeting different tag teams like the North, the Motor City Machine Guns, and I'm like, give me this. Give me these matches. Give me give me Omega and Swan. Omega and Callahan. There's, there's just so many options. And then you've got the Good Brothers there in Impact as well. There's so many options available to them. And yeah, that, that promo done it well. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like a bit more disappointed it wasn't in the ring. Sorry, Scott. 
Sorry, I was going to say, I think maybe, I'm not sure, it has to probably depend on what impact uh, Tabin's schedule was and also how AEW are summoning their shows because there's a chance that maybe the everything else that we saw in that episode of Impact was maybe filmed at a different time from when uh, Kenny Omega and Dick there, but which is maybe why they did in the tour bus. I'm not sure. Maybe they just wanted to grant the idea of he won't leave his tour bus. And I was just joining in the fact that well, the people who have been teasing matches, you know, a lot of people from Impact have been tweeting out people, you know, Jordan Grace was challenging the likes of Shida and Burt Baker and uh, Young Bucks even tweeted a photo of themselves as Generation Me from back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and part of the deal, part of the rumour is the Good Brothers are are going to appear on a future Dynamite. I mean, as you guys have already mentioned, there's a lot of same and a lot of major potential matches that could happen. And it is really exciting. I mean, because NWA, the Thunder Rosa, has worked really, really well in the women's division. It's probably, it's escalated the women's division, I feel, overall. And we've all openly discussed in many shows that we feel AEW's women's division has been poor. Um. And as I said from the get-go, I feel the AEW's tag team division is the best in the world. And then to add, as you mentioned here, Grant North, more sight machine guns, the good boss, it's just so mouthwatering, the thought of that. And then you've got the male participant, you've got the female participant, it's just, it's just like a dream scenario, wasn't it? The fact that you've got these two companies potentially going to work together and potentially give us these type of matches. Aye, and you know, if Wilson changes his mind eventually and like gets his arse together with his rules, I can start getting draft points for Omega appearing on Impact as well. Right. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, I think similar to the AEW thing is that if they can get some of the women from Impact to appear on AEW, again, they can show them that basically how people from other promotions book their women's division as opposed to what AEW books theirs. Like at Bound for Glory, you had Buddy Jordan Grace mix it up with five other guys for the X Division title, whereas Buddy Women on AEW Diamond are struggling for more than one segment per body show. So, uh, you know, I'm just saying. No, I, I totally agree with you, mate. I think very valid points. Um, you know, AEW, the impact of being ahead of the game for intergender wrestling for some time now, they've done really, really well with it. You said that Jordan Grace did not look at a place in that match, and you know, they have had a woman win the Impact World title in Tessa Blanchard. Um, so I'm not going to go into further details because of the Speaking Out movement, but it was still a huge thing at the time for having a woman becoming the World Heavyweight Champion. And it's not been really done anywhere else. But I, I like the idea, the thought of that. Um, as well as that, in, in Dynamite this week, we also had the Battle Royal for the Dynamite Diamond. And We've got our match next week where we've got MGF versus Forbes Cassidy for the winner. What's your thoughts on that match? I mean, trying to take my bias of Orange Cassidy being on my draft team aside, I, I think he's probably going to win because the Diamond Diamond Ring doesn't actually matter as much as they like to make us think it does. And given the fact that they put on somebody who doesn't really care about much, like Orange Cassidy, I think makes sense. And also, given that they're on that same show, they've got this whole ultimatum about the future of the inner circle. If like MGF uh, has some like issues with Sammy Guevara, and that leads to him basically being cost the match, I can then later play into the segment later on when they discuss the future of the inner circle. Yeah, Grant, what about yourself? I, I mean, I, I think like MGF's already won one ring. Um, mm-hmm. If he wins a second one, 
it, it could go one of two ways. I mean, they could have MGF win it, and the angles it as a case of you know, like Guevara and that done nothing to help me or what, and they could angle to try and drive some wedges in the inner circle himself that way. But yeah, another way is like Guevara and that cost him the match. Orange Cassidy wins it and looks at the ring as if to go. Hmm, wonder what I can do with this. <laughs> Try to just pawn it. Get, give it to Trent's mum. Give it to Sue. <laughs> That's it. She was so on his his denim jacket or and his jeans. You'll just walk out and be like, "There you go. It's on my thigh. Let's fight." So sort I of think like it. I like it. Um, uh, lastly, just what was just said, we've combined EW and Impact this week because of what, what's happened to Kenny Omega, but. Scott, you were wanting to discuss something that a couple of matches is going to be happening at Final Resolution shortly in Impact. Yeah, yeah, they've got the Final Resolution show. It's uh, not really a pay it's more of an Impact Plus exclusive. That's their, their streaming service. I think, obviously, given that they're having a Meg on this week, they thought, get some more numbers on the go-home show before Final Resolution, and hopefully people will maybe sign up for for uh, Impact Plus and check out that show. But I mentioned Rich Swan, he's defending the Impact World Championship against Chris Bay, who's kind of a former X Division champion, the kind of an up and coming guy in the company, and he's also competing representing Impact in the Super J Cup this weekend. So clearly, he's a guy that's one of the big up and comers. I think he's still only 23, 24 years old. Uh, you talked about the Good Brothers. Uh, currently, Doug Gallows is injured at the minute, but he is still one half of the tie champs. And Carl Anderson of the Good Brothers is facing Ethan Page at final resolution. And basically, case of Ethan Page wins, he and Josh Alexander get a, a title shot in the future. Uh, you've got Diona Perazzo, the knockouts champion, defending the title against Rosemary, which comes after Diona Perazzo and Kimberly were defeated by Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary in the first round of the knockouts tag tournament. They determined to crown the first champions in a while. And also, the weirdest match, I think, it just goes to show how like, different impact is from other companies, the continuation of the the mystery of who shot Johnny Bravo. The uh, prime suspect, Larry D, claims he was set up. And so Detective Tommy Dreamer is facing uh, Larry D in a match. And basically, if Larry D loses, he goes to jail. If he wins, he gets to go free. I love this stipulation. <laughs> I just want to interject where we think there. You've given me a, a complete, this is a complete like dream idea. Um, fantasy booking probably only happened, but you mentioned about Anderson um, having to take on Ethan Page. Mm-hmm. Now, what what if what if a certain AEW champion decided to go and help a good brother out? And what if that meant that the North decided to go and look for a former AEW champion to help them out and set up a six-man tag match at some point? Just good throwing man. that one out there. A lot of people have been like wondering, some people speculate that some talents may, AEW may be using this to kind of look at some talents and make some impact and try and sign them over to uh, AEW, which I hope really doesn't, isn't the case because, you know, we already lost our rascals, like at least two thirds of them to WWE recently. And I worry that impact's going to end up like ECW to AEW and WWE's kind of WWE and WCW and that in the way ECW they kept having their biggest stars really taken every time they like, push somebody new to one of the two big companies. And I just hope that doesn't happen to the Impact. But like the thing with the whole murder mystery of Johnny Bravo, that and the fact they had, a, they had a, their own wee reality show, Wrestle House, a few months ago, 
uh, it's just goes to show, like, you know, on the one hand, you've got people who are saying, like, with AWO, it's maybe a sports space thing, but then they're doing these skits, like, Lead Down or Debonair and all that, like, whereas Impact said, like, we never said that we're a sports space company, we're just a wrestling company, and sometimes silly shit happens. <laughs> Deal with it. Wrestling's meant to entertain, sometimes the silly shit is entertaining. That's just the way it goes. But yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes wrestling's at its best when it's silly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our very own Quack UG absolutely loves the antics of silly wrestling. Um, <laughs> so you'd be 100% behind that, to be honest. I think Monster's good, to be honest, but I'm looking forward to it. And there's some good points there, good uh, thoughts coming out forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this potential partnership works. So now moving on, uh, coming to home, ICW Fight Club was on this week. And couple of really good matches. What's been quite interesting is a lot of new blood being played into the uh, the company at the moment. I mean, what's everyone's thoughts on what they'll do with the, the fresh blood, like Kyle Chaos, Craig Anthony getting put in there, Logan Smith as well. What's your thoughts on this? We've got a good personal friend, uh, ADM, involved in this as well, the man who failed to kill Stephen Wilson <laughs> involved in this. He's got a refund on that. Yeah. Because like they've got this Lionheart League thing, and so in some cases, some of the newer people that are coming in are yeah, mixing up with like former ICW champions, and then you got some younger guys who are I think they are filming in the Asylum, and so you got some like Asylum like trainees kind of mixing up in the ZOG division. So I think given like the way that they're like taping now, they're doing the best they can with like some new like new talent and like, some of the regulars that they've got available. Yeah, I mean, for a long time we've been crying out for a lot of the, the fresh blood and a lot of the performers that are at Source and other schools to get a chance to come in and actually show what they can do and it's, it's good ICW final listen. I mean, just to go over the entire card here very quickly, uh, we had Krieger defeating Dickie Divers, we had Theodorus defeating Logan Smith, uh, Molly Spartan defeating Angel Hayes, Craig Anthony defeating Kyle Chaos, and then we've got the Lionheart Block A, uh, Liam Thompson defeating Grant McIver and Stevie Boy defeating Stevie James and League B we have uh, DCT defeating ADM and Jason Reed uh-huh. defeating Skinner <laughs> so on ADM <laughs> so at this moment Block A has got Stevie Boy and Liam Thompson tied at the top and Grant McIver and Stevie James tied at the bottom and League Block B has DCT top with ADM and Jason Reed tied for second and Ian Skinner at the bottom. So who's who's your pick to win both blocks? I'll start with you, Grant. I'd say Stevie Boy feels like a surefire pick for his block. As for block B, I'd want to back ADM. It'd be a fantastic opportunity for him because he's more than shown already in the likes of Source and that that he's, he's more than capable. And it would be a, a very great opportunity for him, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the idea of uh, TV Boy winning his block because like, it's determined a number contender for Noam Dar and also TV was the guy that Noam Dar took the belt from originally, so he's obviously a shooter. And I'd like to, it to be ADM, you know, he, you know, he was the champion of Source for well over a year and so he's like, got uh, experience in this kind of like main event but I think get looking at it, DCT is probably going to win that block given that you know he he, sh- he returned shortly before everything went into lockdown. So 
there's also big plans for him on his return and it maybe mean that he and Stevie cross paths again as we've we've seen live before at Chelsea's party a few years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've got to agree. I think the two is going to get to the final. It's going to be Stevie Boy and DCT. But my, my again, I'm I'm I've got to agree Grant. I want ADM to win it. Uh, mm-hmm. you no, know, I, I, I do hope he gets the chance. But my money, just a total gut feeling, is Liam Thompson's the dark horse. I would be surprised if they had him going after to become a bit like um oh, what's his face, my name, my head just went totally blank there. The, the, the oh that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even blame Mark. Um oh when he was zero G world champion. Oh C T gun. He's done. Oh, he's done, thank you. I just could not get out. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, he could become a bit like. He's in after a broadband company. That's how you remember it. <laughs> and my TV provider, I should know best. Damn me. But yes, I, I would be surprised if, if that happened again. Um, so I think Liam is charismatic and technically good enough to do it and pull it off. I mean, do you disagree with that thought, or is that something you'd potentially be willing to get behind? No, I, I see where you're coming from. You know, I think Liam is the UG champion and he got like some new guys in the UG division coming. I think, I don't see him in it. I think he's got some new challenges potentially. I think something I almost forgot about until I tuned into a little bit of the uh, like, return of Fight Club is that Kez Evans is not in the line league, but he is the UG, he is the, sorry, the square goal holder and he did ask for an extension given that he said it's not fair that I've lost like seven months where I could have cashed in because of like circumstances out of my control so you know whoever wins this league may just get their like opportunity to get stolen if like Kez tries to cash in yeah I mean I'm a massive Kez fan I really really enjoy watching him perform I think it's really good I think the whole package is really really good and <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up catching shortly but I do hope he gets his extension Um. What what do you think, Grant? Do you think he's got a chance of potentially cashing in before uh, the square goal? I think I think it's it's definitely doable. Um, and I can't see any reason why why not. Um, you know, it's 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 a big thing. The biggest challenge they've got is you're gonna you're gonna go up against trying to throw one of the NXT UK boys, and they didn't really like them losing outside NXT UK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm enjoying Lionheart Lee. I think it's. I think there's a lot of obviously really good talent in there, but um, we'll wait and see. But I think what is one ADM? I want to see ADM win it. I forgot that Noam Dar was the champion, and when I got reminded of it while watching ICW, I felt a bit sad because I'm pretty sure the last like I wasn't at the fight club shortly after Trigo, so like I feel like the last time I got to go to a live wrestling show was when he won the title. And I think like Jesus, that was in February, but to me it's like it was years ago. Yeah, I'm the exact same. That's the last time I was at a live wrestling show as well. Um, and it was a great night, and it was a shock that you won as well, I thought. But hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, as we mentioned earlier on the show with the COVID vaccine kicking off now, hopefully we'll get that chance to see live wrestling and just live sports in general again. So let's hope it's not too long. Um, so the last thing we're going to talk about this week, just moving on, uh, this week I'm going to hand over to the two experts here. 
New Japan Wrestling, the Tag Team League and the Best of the Super Juniors update. So, boys, I'll hand it over to yourselves to go on and tell everyone what's happened, because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, I think you're yeah, both quite yeah, excited or... about this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you want to take the lead on this, or should I? You, you, do, what, you, you do World Tag League, I'll do Best of Super Juniors. Half and half. Alright, so on Friday... We have the culmination of both World Tag League and Best of the Super Juniors. Of, yeah, two, two of our big annual tournaments in New Japan that have been done at the same time, given also the circumstances of the world. And so one block instead of two, the round-robin format and the top two point scorers as of last week on the 6th of December go on to this Friday on the 11th and to the finals to see who gets the title shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Champ, Tag Champs or the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. With the best with the World Tag League, uh, it's now come down officially to the last year's World Tag League winners, uh, David Family and Just Robinson, better known as Finjus, and they will be taking on the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, uh, the sons of Haku, multiple time IWGP tag champs. Uh, it was a really tight league, you know. It looked like Dangerous Seckers, the tag champs were going to go through. It looked like maybe it was Yashin Goto who lost to Finjus on the sixth, had a shot of going through. But now it's come to these two. These two, it's quite interesting that when Finjus won in 2019, they got their title shot against GOD, and now it's these two coming together in the finals. And I've said to Grant uh, in private that I think the fact that they've mentioned on commentary that one thing GOD haven't yet to do in their career uh, in New Japan is win World Tag League. I think they're, in my opinion, a set to win and then go on to the Tokyo Dome to face Saksuba Jr. and Taiji for those tag team titles. Aye, definitely. I'm with, I'm with you in that one, Scott. I think that's the way it's going to go down. And to give like people at home an idea of like how ridiculously complex the single block format has made it, Chris Charlton broke it down. There were 16 different possible outcomes on the final night of World Tag League that it could have went down. That is a stupidly hard amount of tiebreakers to work out. But yeah, thankfully, and, and also, <laughs> and yeah, and also it it made it harder to talk because. Even acknowledge the fact that given it's one block instead of two, there was less filler. So it's basically a lot of your top teams. So there are points where anybody could have went through. Aye, unreal. Best of Super Juniors, though. Um, we got a finals, which one half I was expecting, the other half I didn't, but I'm very pleasantly happy about it. Hiromu Takahashi getting it through, getting getting through to the finals again. And he's, and he's going up against El Desperado, who has had an absolutely phenomenal run in Best of Super Juniors. And really, since since like coming back uh, around about July time like with New Japan, El Desperado has had an absolute stunning few months uh, getting the junior tag belts back with Kanemaru, who unfortunately got injured and missed the tournament. Um, but yeah, El Desperado has been looking fantastic. And him and Hiroma's chemistry and the way they've just been barbing at each other I cannot wait for that final. It's going to be off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this one was a little less complicated, I think, in terms of tiebreakers, because you know it came down to Desperado, Hiromu, and then Sho, uh, kind of was the dark horse pick coming around from the outside, and the fact that he lost to junior heavyweight champion Taiji Ishimori on the final night before the final uh, is what kind of ruined his chances, because if he'd beaten Ishimori, then the fact that he'd beaten... Hiromu before, and the fact that Desperado earlier in the tournament had beaten Hiromu, it would have been a Desperado show final, which definitely would have shook up what we expected to happen, because 
I thought it would be either Sue or Desperado against the Roman in the final. And uh, given that we, we've talked about in the last couple of months about the interactions between Desperado and Hiromu, I think when Desperado got that one on like the second night of Best of Super Juniors, it made it seem kind of like the possibility this is what we were going to get to. And we talked about how Hiromu is seemingly the favourite, given that he is the former champion. It feels like the story is him to go on and get revenge against Ishimori and get the belt back from him. I feels like we're getting a build towards that, and it's it's exciting because it means we are now that we are we are less than a month away to world to Wrestle Kingdom. Christmas is mm. almost here. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I think coming out of this, we'll get some other matches potentially confirmed based on stuff that has happened. You know, it looks like uh, given that Jeff Cobb sent a message to Shingo Takagi on the sixth that I never open weight title match has been confirmed, but. We've got the finals on Friday and then later on this weekend, as I mentioned, the other Super J Cup. And then later on the following week, me and Grant will go into all this in a lot more detail uh, on East Meets West. So this is just a little taste of what you can expect on that next episode. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, boys, for the update. So I can actually follow along with that. So, yeah, but guys, if you <laughs> have a chance, definitely listen to East West. The boys know what they're talking about and they're educating me and pretty much enough everyone else in the college in regards to that. So it's definitely worth a listen. So that is our show for this week. Uh, I just want to thank my panel, Scott McLeod. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've had a blast. Thank me, Robbie. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Alan. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a really good show. I want to thank all the listeners for listening. Take care and stay safe.